So there was one date free in my diary, I think, for this autumn to be here, and this is it. And so I was given my theme for today, uh, which is, uh, it will come up in a moment, is growing an eternal perspective. And it's from this passage that we are about to read. This is not, for me today, sort of theoretical. And sometimes you're aware that God puts you in a process where you where you have to face questions and issues that, you know, in the run of life, you don't face in quite the same way. Uh, And I am going to talk to you a little bit out of the scriptures. I'm going to talk to you out of my heart as well. But over the last year, we have been, Lorraine and I, helping people in a number of different situations, which I will explain in a moment, so that this... This thrust of having an eternal perspective is, uh, is definitely not a theoretical message or an abstract truth, but uh, something that God has been drilling into us hard as we have been helping others. So just over a year ago, uh, some very good friends of ours lost their 37-year-old daughter to cancer. Some of you know uh, Jo Hobbs uh, because she's part of our wider Oxfordshire Community Church's community. Uh, She grew up in one of our church families and was married to another uh, of our sort of young men who grew up in the church as well. So these two families thoroughly rooted uh, in the church setting. Jo grew up in the West family um, and... uh, and I have known these people for years. They've been part of our church community for probably 30-odd years. Um, so uh, in January this year, Derek and Leslie, Joe's parents, uh, talked to Lorraine and me uh, and said, can we come and talk to you? Because we are struggling with this thing. I mean, Leslie had been my PA for years These are good friends. Derek was an elder uh, in the church in Whitney. Um, You know, we have been together for years. And we said, well, of course. They said, well, we're not quite sure who to talk to, but, you know, you have been spiritual parents to us for years, but we need to pour out our hearts to you. Uh, (laughs) And Leslie, the mum, said, and some of you know these people, so I just need to be a little bit careful in what I'm saying here, but Leslie said, I think, I think we might be backsliding. In other words, losing our faith. She said, I hate going to meetings. Um, you know, since Joe died, the biggest disappointment in our life and lost the battle with cancer after 18 months and everybody had been praying and been so sort of strongly for them and so on. Uh, you know, this has just been massive, and I go to our meetings, and we sing these trivial songs, and uh, I, feel, I feel bitter in my spirit, um, and, uh, you know, but this is the reality. We don't know who to talk to, because Derek is an elder in the church, or he was just transitioning from being an elder to lead some, something called pub church. And he leads a church in the, one of the pubs in Whitney, which is actually doing remarkably well. And it's just, it's just phenomenal, this thing. And, and, but here they are, struggling with their own faith and how they walk with God in the midst of the pain that they feel. And uh, so we said, yes, come pour your hearts out. And they came and they spent an evening with us. They poured their hearts out. And, and um, you know, we just listened for a couple of hours. And then we said, look... What you are experiencing is normal. This is grief, and this is the way grief works. Uh, You must not feel guilty about the emotions that you have or the feelings that you have or the challenges that you feel or the faithlessness or the doubt questions. You must not feel guilty about any of those. You have to face them all. Um, But if we can help you over the next year by meeting every few weeks, talking it out, praying with you, if we can help you somehow find an eternal perspective on all of this, you know, it will be our privilege. And that's what we've done for the last, um, for the last few months. And it's been a privilege to walk with them. Keith Hobbs' father 
Cedric Hobbs and his parents, Cedric and Audrey Hobbs, are amongst our best friends. Lorraine and I have worked with them on a team here across OCC for many, many years. Cedric, an avid evangelist, um, both of Cedric and Audrey just sold out for God, wonderful people. Three weeks ago, I took Cedric with me to Belgium and France on a weekend's ministry tip, trip, and uh, you know, I said, so Cedric, how are you doing? <laughs> and he pours out his heart again, the pain he feels for his son. Um, and, uh, you know, privilege again just to sit with a brother and, you know, and then end up not only pouring everything out, but lifting everything to God and saying, Lord, give us an eternal perspective. Two weeks ago, um, we had the sad news uh, that one of our, the wife of one of our elders in Whitney Church, part of our Oxfordshire family, uh, had also lost the fight with cancer. She'd been struggling with it for the last 18 months, um, and you know, much prayer had gone in and so on, but at the end of the day, she lost the fight. Uh, and um, it was actually while Lorraine and I were away in Kent um, on a weekend's ministry uh, that we got the news that uh, Pammy had lost the battle. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, I'm, I'm, but I'm trying to invite you in to understand I am not talking abstract theory this morning. I am talking something about the realities of life. And so we heard that Pammy had lost the fight. And uh, Now, Pammy used to be part of this church, and she was almost one of the founding members of where, where this church came from. And Adrienne's already in tears, and it's not going to be over, Adrienne, because uh, Pammy's a very good friend of Adrienne's. But um, she was one of the sort of founding members of this church, Pammy. And then she met her husband, John, right here in this church. And I had the privilege of conducting their wedding 24 and a half years ago. And we learned two weeks ago that she had lost the battle with cancer. And tomorrow I will help in conducting her funeral and Thanksgiving service, and it's a privilege to do so. At the same time, we learned that John Bickford, uh, so many of you know Dave and Susie Bickford, who are members of this church and who've worked in China for the last 20-odd year, years so faithfully. Uh, they've, uh, you know, they've worked in China and... One of the privileges Lorraine and I had years ago was going and visiting Dave and Susie in China, and, and we had our two youngest children with us, and they at that time were aged nine and six, something like that. It was a long time ago. And, uh, and Susie said, I really want to take you to a place that is on our hearts, and she took us to an orphanage uh, which was full of handicapped children. And because of the one-child policy that China used to espouse, any handicapped child was set aside and put into an orphanage, not looked after very well, but Susie had a heart and a passion for these handicapped children. And, and our children were able to play for the day with these handicapped children, so something deep into them that you don't get in other ways. And then Dave and Susie themselves had, had adopted or fostered two handicapped children, uh, and, uh, and then two weeks ago, uh, John lost the battle to pneumonia. Very suddenly, really, he, he died. And some of you know that story, and you've been praying for them. But that all happened the same weekend that Pammy also died. It was a profound weekend, and I had been asked to minister on that Sunday morning on Revelation 21 and the new heavens and the new earth. Well, I need to tell you that this was not a theoretical sermon. I preached myself into faith through that Sunday morning and seeing the new heavens and the new earth and everything filled with the presence of Christ, and there being no suffering and no tears and no death and all the rest of it. And you think, well, praise God, you know, for the hope that we have. Uh, and then last week, I, had, I was in Swindon with Lorraine, and I was asked to minister on Revelation 4 and 5, which is all about God's throne room. And 
the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, sorry, is taken up from earth to heaven to get an eternal perspective in order to understand what was happening in the life of the early churches in Asia Minor. But he's taken up to the throne room because the, the best place to understand what's happening on the earth is from the throne room of God and God's perspective. And, and so this is the flow I'm in. All right, so if, if I sound just a little bit emotional to you, uh, great. Uh, that's no problem to me because uh, we are emotional beings as well as spiritual beings and all the rest of it. And so at various times, this will probably pop up. And if I sound like I don't just stick to the chapter but talk about other aspects of new heavens and new earth and all the rest, it's because I'm in a flow here on actually... Uh, really wanting to help us to understand the importance of our being rooted in eternity and in an eternal perspective, which I feel is not, you know, a sort of an academic question about what's going to happen after this life, but it is how do we live this life in the present uncertainty of God. And I'm so grateful, I hope, I'm sure you are as well, for the worship that we've had this morning. The worship this morning has been like putting our feet on solid rock, and we have declared things that are true uh, in God and that we can build our lives on. And, and that's what we need to know as we live life in this world. And part of our problem is, you know, that, um, that our perspective can often get very this-worldly. And, uh, you know, and we face as we... As we watch the news day by day, so much insecurity in the world and so many questions that are going on in the world. And we say, what's going on? And is God sovereign here? And how is he going to work this out? And how is he going to sort all this out? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? And I mean, one of the worst features, I think, is... Well, no, I better not get into that rant. In the Western world, we are afflicted with something which is called prosperity theology. And it basically is, you know, if you walk with God, life will be really, really good. You will be blessed beyond all means. You'll be, be rich, wealthy, have the car that you want, and everything will be hunky-dory, and etc., etc. That is a perversion. Sorry to be so strong about it. Forgive me. That's a perversion, though, of the gospel of Christ, which is about Christ will be with you through every situation that you ever have to walk through and with you, will give you the victory of his love and his peace and his joy despite everything else that you face. Christians in the rest of the world, I mean not the West. There's the West and the rest, you understand. But the Christians in the rest of the world do not have that addiction to prosperity theology. And it's something that we need to divest ourselves of in order to say, so, so what does it mean to be one of God's people in the earth today? And especially what it does it mean to face suffering? So I was asked just this week, I got an email a couple of days ago from some friends of mine in India who I've worked with for years, and they said, we would like you to write an article. They, so I've with many others, we've been and sewn into this uh, training college. It's a missionary training college over many, many years. They said, would you please write an article on the theology of suffering? Well, I want to suggest to you we need a good theology of suffering. And it, it's rooted in having an eternal perspective of who God is and you know, how God relates to this world. And I thought to myself, isn't that interesting? Christians in India at this moment of time are facing more hardship than they have faced for decades uh, because the current prime minister is determined to make that nation a Hindu state once and for all. So Christians are facing hardship. By the way, Muslims are also facing hardship in that nation. But Christians are under huge pressure. And one of the pressures is keep quiet, don't say a word. How do you live in that setting with the joy of Christ? How are you rooted in eternity as an Indian Christian facing the suffering? So there are some sort of big questions that, you know, if we don't just think about ourselves, we have to try and do business 
uh, with. Um, so let's read the passage. Let's start there. I think we'd be best to start in the scripture, but I'm just trying to give you a sort of understanding of where we're coming from this morning. So, brothers and sisters, Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. You may have to grieve from time to time, but you won't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I I wonder if you understand. I wonder if we understand the horror of having no hope. Of being people who ultimately don't have hope. Because I've been a pastor for more than 40 years now, I have had to conduct funerals in all sorts of different situations. What a delight to conduct (laughs) funerals of Christians, even if they're painful. They're always painful. Um, But how dark and dismal it has been over the years to... To conduct the funerals of people who had no knowledge of Jesus Christ at all. And I have to say that the worst thing is you can't speak falsehoods in these situations. So one of the things I simply try and say and declare, and the reason I have taken those funerals over the years in many, many situations is because I wanted to say to people who are going through those bleak situations, listen, God is here for you. And he loves you very, very much. And he's a God who cares. But the bleakness of the atmosphere when people have no hope is tangible. Um, I wonder if we understand how difficult it is for people who have great sense of uncertainty about the future. The darkness of those who are uncertain about the future. This has been some of the horrors of the current refugee situations that we have witnessed, which is bigger than us. We watch it sort of in our daily news bulletins, uh, you know, and people who are sort of herded out of places they love because they feel there is no way that they can stay there, but they don't know uh, what the future uh, really holds for them sort of hopeful, but then they end up in these situations of refugee camps and so on where the, the conditions, the prevailing conditions are, are awful, even though people are trying to help in all sorts of different ways, but for many people they are really awful. We've witnessed some of those in France. Uh, and uh, the hopelessness that people feel when they're separated from loved ones and maybe prematurely, maybe in really difficult and horrific situations, or even the challenge it is for many people who have other worldviews than ours. And one of the things I am going to try and ask you to do this morning a little bit, this, see, this is not just a light sermon to say, isn't it nice that we've got hope in heaven? But what I'm trying to ask you to do business with is also somehow to try and grapple with the realities of the world that we live in and have our hearts touched by eternal realities this morning, if we can. And this is not playing games for me. This is sort of trying to grapple with our world and and grapple with God's world and also grapple with being agents of God's love in his world. But the challenge of other views, other worldviews, other religions... Muslims do not have any assurance of a future life. They hope that if they give enough alms, if they feed enough beggars, if they you know, do enough good deeds, their good deeds can outweigh their bad deeds and maybe they might just somehow slide into a better future. But they have no hope or guarantee. And everything is based on a deep insecurity about the future. Hindus do not know where they will end up. 
They don't even know which God to worship. There are 330 million gods in the Hindu religion. How do you choose one of those? Life is a lottery as to which God you've ever come close to or come near to. And you may end up in a better state in the future, but you may end up a rat. Literally. How do you live with that? Do you understand, do we understand the deep anguish of soul that people with other religious views face when they live with those sort of questions? And then you've got the refugee situations. And people who feel profoundly unwelcome. In the context of one of our churches, Lorraine and I were with a group of refugees who have found Christ in some most miraculous ways. But when we probe down and ask them questions about the life they live, where they still can't get a job, where they still don't get a visa, where life is still desperately insecure for them, and, and, and you know, you say to them, what do you really feel? And they've said, they've said to us, they've used these words or words similar to these, well, we felt profoundly welcomed by this family, but profoundly unwelcome in this nation. Which is why, when I hear Krish Kandaya talk about, you know, the welcome of God in our homes and families, I'm profoundly moved. By the way, he's written a very good book which has been published this year, which I've read in the last few God months. Is God is Stranger. Thank you very much. You knew I was hunting for the title, didn't you, in my head? Yes. And John and Sally, you need to know how deeply we honor people like you. And, uh, uh, you know, but... But if you want to read a good book about the welcome of God, God is Stranger by Krish Gandhi is well worth the read. There is no question about it. Um, the horror of having no hope. And Paul says to the Christians in Thessalonia, I don't want you to be like people all around you who have no hope. This is the thing that distinguishes us. For we believe, verse 14, sorry, that was the first verse. We believe <laughs> that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Fallen asleep is simply a nice way of saying who died in Christ. Okay. We have all sorts of nice ways of talking about unpleasant situations, don't we? And fallen asleep is simply those who died. Died is too stark. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, obviously, Paul is understanding that there is some confusion in the minds of the Christians at Thessaloniki. Okay, and what is it? Well, you've already met this in the last few weeks. In one way or another, as you've studied this letter, you've met this challenge. Some people expected Jesus to return very soon. <laughs> some of the Christians in Thessaloniki even stopped working because they expected him to return so soon. And, and Paul says to them, well, you better get back to work. Uh, you need to do a job, and you need to provide for you, you know, your own needs and your family. So, but there was a confusion that Jesus' return was absolutely imminent. And then, the longer it gets, you know, there's a sort of question, so what are we hoping for, and what are we waiting for? And what about those who've died as Christians? We expected all of us to be here when Jesus came back and took us all 
you know, off with him. But what about those, those who've died as Christians? What happened, what's happened to them? So these are where the questions come from, because they had this idea that Jesus was going to return any minute, very soon. Of course, in one sense, it is very soon, in the light of eternity especially. It's very soon, uh, but it's not... That's, but where are they? Where have they gone? That's the question. And, you know, what sort of life are they living now? And one of the questions that even Christians face is, so where are my loved ones at the moment? And will I see them again? And will I talk to them again? Will I recognize them again? All those questions. Do any of you have any of those sorts of questions? Oh, well, not many. I'm very impressed. But so, some people have those sort of questions. Well, some of them are going to be answered right this morning, which is wonderful. Because of the very long delay of Jesus' coming, seems long in this time, seems even longer now, there were questions and confusion over what's going on. But Paul says, look, there is no problem at all. <laughs> right? No problem. Nothing's changed. When Christ comes, those who have died will also come with him. They will, they will come back to life. They will come with him. And those who are alive in this world, believe in Christ, will be united with them. And we will all live with Christ forever. Hallelujah. He said, listen, there is no problem about this at all. Except, of course, if you're a natural doubter. Have we got any natural doubters or questioners here? Okay, hallelujah, we've got a few. That's all right. It's all right to ask questions. It's all right not to understand, etc. So, so here's the question, and it's answered in there. Why, why can we have assurance about this? I hope you notice the question is answered here. How can we have assurance that everything's going to be all right. The dead in Christ are going to come to life with Christ and we too will rise with Christ. And we'll all... How can we be sure about that? And the answer is in verse 15. According to the Lord's word. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself... So, in other words, Jesus himself gave clear teaching about this. Jesus himself gave clear teaching about this. One of the, one of the really tantalizing questions is about the time that Jesus spent on the earth after his resurrection, where it says he taught his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom. And we don't have a single bit of that teaching. But for 40 days he taught. I have a feeling this is one of the subjects on the agenda. I can't tell you, but here they said, there's no question about this because Jesus himself said so. Why would they believe that they could trust the word of Jesus? Well, because other things that he said especially about his death and his resurrection, that he would die and he would rise again, actually happened precisely as he prophesied. He told them in advance he was going to die and he would rise from the dead again. And it happened, which gives you a little clue that you can believe the rest of the stuff that he said because he speaks the truth. Okay, that's what's going on here. Can I just read it again in the light of what I've just said so that we understand it? Uh, let's go back to chapter 4 and verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, Jesus does not want anyone here to be in any doubt at all about your future. You might have some questions about how things can happen, and probably we can't answer all those questions, because right, we don't have all the detailed answers. 
But in principle, you can be absolutely dead certain about your future and where you're going and who you're going to be with, not just as you walk with Christ in this earth, but where you're going to be in the future, you are going to be with Christ. Okay? We can have an assurance in him. Okay, so I do want to suggest to anybody who does not have any assurance about a future life with God, that before you walk out of this building this morning, you can have it. And he does not want anyone to walk out with doubt in their minds. If you have asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, and you have committed your life into his hands to be your God, then you are united with him forever. Okay, now this is what Jack was prophesying. I hope we heard it. Right, what he was saying is we're not just looking forward to a day when the light will dawn, you know, and heaven will come and all the rest of it. He was saying, if you've got Christ in you, <laughs> you're living the eternal life of Jesus now. You are living the life of light, the life of Christ, the light of hope, the light of joy. You're living it now. Whatever darkness you may have to go through as you leave this life you will come out the other side still living with christ because you are united with him forever we live eternal life so let's come back to the powerpoint what is my eternal perspective this is what i just want to leave us with now certain sort of very clear truths uh, that god wants us all to understand so here's here we are what's my eternal perspective number one it's this God wants me to have eternal life. For God so loved the world, I thought I'd quote this one because everybody would know it, be able to say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have Thank you very much. Eternal life. The reason that Jesus came was because he wants you and me to have eternal life. Okay, he doesn't want your neighbor to have it and you to be questioning whether you've got it. <laughs> he wants us all to have it. Okay, now please turn to him and say, God wants me to have eternal life. Well, for that matter, say, and God wants you to have eternal life too. Okay, but this is the start of having a strong grasp on eternity. That we understand God wants us to have it, to have eternal life now. This is something we possess. It's not something we just hope for. That one day we'll suddenly, beef, you know, flip over into the eternity or whatever. And, oh, this is it. No, no, no. We've got it now. Okay, if you're a Christian, you've given your life to Christ, you've asked to be your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. Hallelujah! You could look excited about that. Okay, this is something you've got. Nobody can take it away from you. We're closer than we were. Some of us are. This is true. Okay, here's the next part of our eternal perspective. If we die before Jesus returns, we pass into... The presence of Jesus. Death is passing into the presence of Jesus. Paul said in another of his writings, absent from the body means present with the Lord. Okay, that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now elsewhere, this is called paradise. It's this is going to sound very irreligious and it's not supposed to. But it's a massive waiting room where we're consciously aware of Jesus' presence and we're awaiting for some even better things to happen at the end of the age. Okay, because actually just passing into the presence of Jesus isn't all that's going to happen in the future. There's more. You may think, wow, isn't living in the presence of Jesus enough? Well, yes and no, because there's more. 
And we're going to come to that in a moment. In a moment. Okay. So, next, this is all part of our eternal perspective. When Jesus returns, because he is coming back, because he told us, the angels also said, this same Jesus, whom you see going up to heaven, is going to come back in exactly the same way. Right? Those who have died will return with him. You may think, where are they and what are they doing? Well, they're, they're in the presence of Jesus, waiting for Jesus to come back to. And we are caught up to meet them in the air. Now, I don't know quite what that is going to look like. But all that these, pass- these passages from Scripture say is that this is visible, cosmic, something you can't miss. There's trumpets, John, all over the place. There's loud cries. You know, uh, you know, but it's unmistakable when Jesus comes back. There are some bits of sort of odd theology that talk about a secret rapture. Um, you know, church being saved secretly and all the rest of it. Don't worry about that. Okay. Think about this. When Jesus comes back, there is going to be, says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven, verse 16, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Why? Well, they've got six foot further to come. <laughs> After that... I don't know if that's the answer, sorry. Uh, after that, we who are still alive, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. They're not going to get it ahead of us and we're not going to get the next stage ahead of them. We are going to enter into our final inheritance together. Uh, wonderful. Then it says in this passage, and then we're going to live together with Christ forever. The key thing about what we're going to receive and what's going to happen to us is living with Christ. One of the sort of challenges that we face at the moment is sometimes, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to get hold of Jesus? Be able to, I mean, we know we can in the spirit, but, you know, just sort of get get hold of him. And sometimes there seems to be a big gap between earth and heaven. Have you noticed that? Not when Jesus comes. Not in our future inheritance. We are going to live right with Jesus. And by the way, there's going to be no gap because there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus reigns and is at the center of everything. And the gap between heaven and earth is totally diminished. There isn't any. No gap between heaven and earth. The gap we're living with now. But you're not going to live with that in the future. We're going to be this close to touching Jesus. We're going to, he's going to be with us, all around us, in us, for us. You know, we're going to be so conscious of his presence. And I don't know how that works with all the millions of people who are going to be there. I don't. Uh, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And uh, there we go. We'll, so, and then, so we live forever with Christ. When Christ comes, he, do, he does do something more. He totally recreates the heavens and the earth. So this gap that we feel on the earth between heaven and earth is no longer there. New heavens, new earth, Christ the center of everything. Now that's not the subject of my preach this morning or this passage. You understand that. But Revelation 21, it's all there. Okay, so in the light of this, how does God want us to live? Well, that's in verse chapter 5. Let's read on. Now, brothers and sisters, About times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. What's going to happen is not a shock to you. You may have to walk through some difficult circumstances, but ultimately what you're going to see when Christ comes is everything that you've longed for and waited for and hoped for. So how do we live? Well, let me just say this. Uh, You have to come back to my PowerPoint now. Sorry. Let's leave the scripture, Erica, and come back to my PowerPoint. That doesn't sound so good, but anyway. Um, How do we live? Well, in the face of death... We live with hope and confidence. We live with hope and confidence. As I said, tomorrow 
I'm going to be helping with the thanksgiving of this dear sister, Pammy, who is precious to many of us here in this family. This is what I'm going to say at a certain point, just so that you know, we don't get stuck for words. We have a book of words at these moments, which is quite helpful. And she's, we're going to have a service, of, a funeral service for her in the church building in Whitney. And uh, then we're going to bury her in the ground in a cemetery in Whitney. And this is what I'm going to say as part of that burial service. And some of you may recognize these sort of serious words. I'm going to say this. For as much as it has pleased Almighty God of his great mercy to receive unto himself the soul of our dear sister, Pammy, here departed. We commit her body to the ground. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our earthly body. So it will be like his glorious body, according to the mighty power where he's able to subdue all things to himself. In the face of death, we are not cowed or intimidated. We are not. <laughs> because we have a certain, a short and certain hope of resurrection. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to live with that confidence. How do we live in the face of death? With hope and confidence. We declare it. Emotionally, we can feel lots of other things. <laughs> and tomorrow evening, we will have a service of thanksgiving for Pammy's life. Slightly more informal. This is what we do. We tell lots of stories about Pammy, who was a hilarious character, actually. She was quite a dramatic personality. Um, you know, who... Oh, anyway, what do we say, Adrienne? Uh, but we'll tell all sorts of stories. We'll, we'll tell the poignant ones and the touchy ones, and we'll tell the hilarious ones. We will cry, because we're sad that she's gone, and we'll laugh, because <laughs> her life was a good life, and it gave us lots of joy. And we'll remind ourselves that she's in the presence of God, and it's where we're all going. In the face of death, we have hope. Amen. We live for that. We live for that. Okay. Secondly, I want to say in any uncertainty, we have confidence that Jesus has overcome death and we are in Christ. Now, listen. This is your certainty and my certainty. If there's one thing I really wanted to get across this morning, even more than what the future looks like, it's what your present is. You and I, if we are Christ, are one with him, united with him, living with him, and we have eternal life now. Tomorrow you could walk through all sorts of disasters. That does not change the eternal life that you carry with you. It's in you, the divine Life of Christ is in you. You carry it with you. You're united with Christ. Nothing can take that from you. This is the eternal perspective. You may look a bit odd, feel a bit weak. <laughs> you know, your body may not do all it should do or whatever it may be, but the life of Christ is shining in you. And Jack prophesied that this morning. The light of Christ blazes out inside of us so how do we live well in the face of death with hope in any uncertainty with confidence that christ is in us now here's another one chapter five starts like this now about times and dates we don't need to write to you now that can sound as though what paul is saying now when exactly it's going to happen we don't know and that's true, but he's saying something rather more than that. And I'm sorry that it doesn't come out in English. It does come out in Greek. 
But he's saying about times, seasons, and opportunities. We don't want you to be ignorant. We want you to understand. Now, here is the biggest season that we're in. It's a season where salvation is available to everybody on this earth because the whole show has not yet been wrapped up. We are in an age where life is on offer to nations, to peoples all around us. About times and seasons, there's no surprises coming. You know Jesus is going to come back suddenly. But until he does... You can live his life differently. It's a time of opportunity. I want us to understand that we're in a time where we need to recognize the opportunities we have of offering salvation to everybody, offering hope to everybody, offering certainty to everybody, offering the life of Jesus that we enjoy and that we're living in. We offer that to everybody all around us because it's miserable to live life without hope. Miserable? And unnecessary and a sad tragedy (laughs) that people don't have the hope of Christ that we have. Amen? So This is an incredible opportunity. So how do we want to live in the light of our future hope? Well, we want to live recognizing the opportunity we have now to share life with others. 1 Peter chapter 3. (laughs) um, Peter says, some of you are going to say, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? He says, well, God's not willing for anyone to perish but wants everyone (laughs) to find salvation that's the main reason why jesus hasn't come back yet (laughs) because he wants to keep the door open for people to come to christ and he wants us to be sharing that with others and finally we, he says, verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night of the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let's be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet, For God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that so whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So what does this eternal perspective mean? Well, it means enjoy the life of Christ. Live it wholeheartedly. Don't try and just squash Jesus into a bit of your life. (laughs) Live the whole of your life for Jesus Because one day you're going to live the whole of your life with Jesus in his presence. And it's worth starting now. It's worth investing now. It's worth being wholehearted for Jesus now. This is what it means to enjoy eternal life. In the light of this eternal perspective, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Smile. Can you please smile at me and say, yeah, I want to enjoy it. (laughs) Just looking for a little bit more response that we sometimes get. And there's one thing that I felt God put in my mind this morning just before I came out and, I, I, one or three, and then I'm going to hand over to Stephen it's up to him I want to say in the light of this eternal perspective how do we live Well, can I just encourage us not to be selfish I'm suggesting that already in being prepared to offer salvation to everyone to offer the life that we have what a privilege that we have this hope what a privilege that we have this life Uh, Lorraine and I keep various diaries in our house about Christians who are in hardship in the world. Actually, we keep this one. This is the Barnabas diary, as it so happens, praying praying for persecuted peoples, but we also follow a couple of others, Open Doors and uh, and another one. Um, I went into the loo this morning as you do, and sat down, uh, you know, to prepare for this morning, and I picked up the Barnabas thing, and it talks about Christians in Egypt who are facing significant hardship, 
And they're not going to stop facing hardship because they love Jesus and are devoted to Jesus. This one struck me. This was just yesterday's entry. On 8th of August, the Parliament of Nepal approved a new bill restricting religious conversion and criminalizing hurting religious sentiment. I assume that most of you know that the Buddha was born in Nepal. It's a stronghold. Nepal is a stronghold of Buddhism and Hinduism as well. Over the last 70 years, the church has grown from nothing to just over a million. It's a great success story. But there's so much fear around that they've passed laws to restrict the growth of other religions. Anyone convicted of encouraging someone to change their religion can now be sentenced to up to five years in prison. This is harsher than a previous law and could, in effect, make all Christian evangelism illegal. The vaguely worded crime of hurting religious sentiment, that may mean talking about Christmas instead of Diwali, is punishable by a fine and two years in prison. Pray that the small but growing church in Nepal will be wise, faithful, and bold in these new conditions. See, there are Christians there who have the eternal life of God in them, living in incredible hardship. Actually, this is happening all around the world at this moment of time. One of the things that we are so grateful for is the life of God that we enjoy and the freedom that we have to enjoy it. What a privilege to be able to stand with brothers and sisters in other parts of the world and say, Lord, would you please keep lighting the fires of the eternal hope that they have so that it doesn't go dim, they don't lose it, they don't turn back, they don't get intimidated, but they keep standing for Christ. And if they keep standing for Christ, please help us to be true to Jesus too because of the hope that we have in us. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. amen. God bless you.